0: Discipleship is the word we use to describe the mentoring or maturing of a person who wants to follow Jesus. That's the definition, just in case it was unclear. But when I say that word, discipleship, no doubt a lot of different pictures might fill the minds of the people in this room. What picture fills your mind when I say the word discipleship. What does it look like? Maybe it looks like one of these scenes. There's one. A wise old person sits on a hill who's approached by a groveling young person desperate to know more. The modern version of this is two people in a coffee shop. With a disciple asking all these really deep questions, often followed by huge gaps of silence. Have you been in one of those? Or maybe discipleship isn't so intimidating, you know? Maybe it's uh maybe it's more like one person listening to another person's troubles and just helping them bring their feelings to a God who cares. Or, maybe discipleship is less about thinking and feeling entirely and maybe discipleship is one person showing another person how to do the right thing. Doing the things that God says are important. So which is it? Well, can I propose to you that discipleship can be all three of these things and actually even more, but it's Not just one of these things. Not at all. In fact, discipleship is a lot deeper and a lot wider than we might expect. In short, it's God's people helping God's people to be God's people. I don't think I have to repeat that. So I want to set the scene for discipleship according to Jesus by reading Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Jesus has just been raised from the dead and he's with his disciples as he's teaching them about their mission right before he leaves. Here's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In this text is my first point, discipleship is deep. It is deep. Jesus shows us that here by telling His disciples that discipleship is no less than helping people walk with God. I mean, in verse 18, Jesus shows us He has all authority. We know elsewhere that He calls Himself and proves Himself to be one with God and He has walked with His disciples. And now Jesus is sending them saying, you do it. Sending them to baptize new disciples and teaching those people how to walk with Jesus too. I mean, isn't suggesting that kind of depth when you really think about it just a little bit intimidating? Hi, I'm going to help you walk with God. Doesn't that seem a little difficult Intimidating maybe? Unable to pin down? Well, it's certainly not something to take lightly when we read this passage. Even though if you're like me, you've read this passage a thousand times and it runs the risk of losing its luster. It's not something to take lightly, but the hope we have to do it is right here and it's great. In verse 18, Jesus is sending us by His authority on the front end of the text. And on the back end, verse 20, He is with us to the end of the age. So I'm sending you with all my authority, and I'm with you. This helps us to aim for depth with confidence. Now, I won't list everything a disciple is called to teach, not in this sermon. But I'd like to broadly break down what is affected by discipleship into three categories. And if you've been coming here more than once, you may have heard this before. Discipleship affects the head, and it affects the heart, and it affects the hands. In fact, those three examples of discipleship I gave you were head, heart, and hands. Discipleship affects those things. Another way of putting it is in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when Jesus asks a man to sum up what does it mean to effectively walk with God? And the man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus commends him for this answer. So I'd like to think he got it right. Fundamentally, Jesus is showing us here that discipleship is really about the whole person moving towards God. That's why I say head, heart, and hands. Loving God with the mind, with all your mind, or your head, which is what you perhaps believe or think. Loving God with the heart and soul, you might say the innermost being of a person. You might even say what a person feels. And loving God with the strength, or hands, what a person does. Jesus doesn't list a hierarchy here. He quite plainly wants all of you. And some of you might think, but you just said head, heart, and hands, Dan. I got my feet, right? It's kind of shorthand for the whole person. In other words, according to Jesus, a good disciple trains and receives training in all of these categories. All of them are a love offering given to God. Just imagine doing one, only. Imagine a disciple who only trains the head. In fact, you might have met one of these people before. They get really smart. But... They could become cold and detached in their feelings, and they could lack compassion and good works. Now imagine a disciple who only trains the heart. They could be very warm and inviting of all the feels. For example, they could do those things, but then they could become kind of theologically mushy in their head. And they become they can become very self-centered. It's all about getting my feelings right so they're not out there working in the lives of other people. Now finally, imagine a disciple who only trains the hands. They might do all kinds of good works, but these good works could easily become completely divorced from God's glory. Humanitarian work could easily fall into this category. Now I hope you didn't hear that I said any of those were bad things. What I'm saying is they're bad things if they're just isolated. And especially if they're not given as offerings to God. If they're just all about us. But now I want you to imagine not just one of those things, but I want you to imagine a robust disciple according to Jesus. Someone who does all three. I mean, there are huge benefits to that just personally in terms of the way you're living, for sure. But just think about how they're reaching people. They can disciple anybody, whether it's like a heady philosophy major or it's a motive theater performer or a blue-collar construction worker or anybody in between. You can reach them all. You know the language they speak. How can somebody do this? They can do this because like Jesus, here in Matthew 28, they know people of all types, all nations belong to God. And so they want disciples of all nations. They want disciples of all types of people, not just replicated versions of the stuff that they like. They see value in deep thinking and tough questions. But that's not all. They see value in emotive worship and creativity. But that's still not all. They see value in helping a friend move and making sure the budgets are properly balanced. Head, heart, hands, it's stewardship or caring for the whole person. They do not list limit discipleship to one or even two of those three categories. Now, I'd love to be that guy. Or I'd at least like to be under that guy. (laughs) But honestly, most of us struggle to do this. It's not necessarily all of our fault from the gate. I mean, I admit, I grew up around more blue-collar Emotive people. Heady theology really kind of scared me. And on top of that, experience factored in. I saw some very smart people. Relatives, even some pastors. And they became very smart, but they became very cold and uncaring. Not only did they not train valuable parts of discipleship. They didn't like the parts of discipleship that were my favorite. So in response, I admit that for a long time, I abandoned training the mind. It's too risky. And I don't want to become cold and uncaring. And there's some wisdom in that. But wait a second. God made the mind. (laughs) Ironically, I know that now. (laughs) and though I've grown in that category by the Lord's grace to be honest when it comes to heady theology I'm still probably the equivalent of a college freshman no offense to college freshmen. (laughs) I'm 42 (laughs) do you know what helps me when I'm trying to strike a balance and be a more robust disciple knowing That discipleship is not some quick, expertly crafted series of training sessions. Discipleship is simply a faithful relationship over time. How long did Jesus walk with his disciples? For years. And he was Jesus. If anybody could have just crammed it in there quickly, it could have been him. But he walked with them. It's not just talking about deep stuff once a week for a few months or until the guy misses like three seconds and then three strikes and you're out and move on or anything like that. It's God's people helping God's people to be God's people. That takes time. And time is actually at the heart of it. I'd like you to consider... Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. Please write that down if you can't get there too fast. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 because it addresses such people. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some people have referenced that to just speak only to the church. It's actually God's people. Don't neglect to meet together. Don't just stick to once a week. Discipleship, according to these verses, is not a loose, a vague or a brief relationship. Verse 24 calls it a stirring up. I love that language. It's a, it's a desire. It's Even a a cherishing, I use the word cherishing because that's the uh, opposite of the word neglect that the author of Hebrews uses here. And the finish line, what a disciple is working towards in verse 25 is kind of shocking. As we see the day drawing near. In other words, this stirring up, this encouragement, this cherishing lasts until we see Jesus face to face. Maybe not necessarily the person you're discipling right now, but the process of it lasts until you see Jesus. and Then you won't need to be discipled anymore. Friends, let's bring it all together. Discipleship is helping somebody walk with God. That's depth. Helping to incline their, their head and their heart and their hands towards God. And all of this is faithfully done as we prepare one another for the day that we will meet God. Okay, so I hope you're on board with discipleship if you weren't. And I hope you're even more excited if you were on board with discipleship. So when and where do you do it? Where are my details people at? Maybe some of you, in fact, right now are thinking about your calendar. Hey, Dan, I already got you covered. Look, Monday at 4 p.m. Discipleship with Johnny Freshman. Wednesday at lunch. Look, I get discipled by Fred the Elder. Can I propose that discipleship is more than that? It's not just deep, but it's wide. In fact, I would like to think I would like you to think about it less as an item on your calendar and more as a massive group project, a good group project where everybody shows up. <laughs> think about the whole church. Think that big. Even the global church, but for the sake of today, this church. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 27 through 30. This is a great passage on the church that's often used in a different type of sermon. But I think it really applies. This is Paul writing to kind of a messed up church. (laughs) And he says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you're all together together. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gift of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now my hope in reading that, as Paul's was, is not for you to read that list And get preoccupied with, with, um, with which gift you bring to the table. The hope here is for us to see that the body of Christ, that is the church, is a collection of different people working under one God. It's God's people helping God's people to be God's people. And they help in different ways. And so the opportunities are numerous, it's collective. There's so much wider than just a few spots on your calendar. In fact, discipleship happens right here. Think about Sunday morning. I don't think it's out of line to make these following statements. You can make disciples... By handing out bulletins and helping visitors find their way around. You strike up conversations with them before you know it. You're connecting them with the right people. Or you're having them over and sharing your testimony. Or you're hosting a Bible study. Or you're training somebody up to love other people. And you're showing them how to be a good greeter. You can make disciples by serving on the worship team. You can build up friendships with the others on your team and you can actually help them process deeply how they're honoring God and serving the congregation. If you show up early and one of you struggling, you can pray together. You can make disciples by teaching the children. You can help draw out their big feelings and they've got some big feelings. And you can interact with their parents You can welcome visitors, and you can actually help spiritually grow their little ones. Men, some of you can make disciples by preaching, working with other men to craft sermons that share a clear gospel message and help people grow and meditate on God's work throughout the week. And you can make disciples by being a part of a small group or a growth group, meditate deeply on what you're learning, and taking good notes, and drawing out other people. Friends, all of this and so much more provide such rich opportunity for discipleship. And we often don't even think about that. And some of you might actually be discipling way more than you think. And I think others of you, I hope this inspires you to say, wow, I could do so much. I'm already here. I just have to invest. You can help God's people to be God's people. But the sad thing about wide opportunities is that the mark is missed in discipleship if there is no depth. And so for that reason, I don't think it's out of line to make the following statements. You can be a greeter and it can just become a job. You hand out bulletins and you run out of certain worksheets and who cares. Printer guy never prints them anyway. And you know, just Stop there and you miss opportunities to draw people in. You know, you stop writing names down. You can serve on the worship team your whole life and be preoccupied with your performance and not even know the others on your team are struggling. You could volunteer in the nursery or Sunday school And he could have your eyes on your phone or he could only speak to the children when they're doing something incorrectly. Men, I know for a fact, from my own experience, that you can preach a sermon for the main motivation of positive feedback. You can do it. You want to know the worst sermons I've ever preached? The ones where I never applied the scripture to my own heart. I preached loudly and I never once looked in the mirror. So easy to fall into that. You can join growth groups for the food (laughs) or socializing. And barely keep up with the notes and the preparation. You can go to one your whole life and never grow a spiritual inch. <laughs> Friends, you understand? You can fill your head with knowledge. You can fill your heart with good feelings. And your hands can be rough from decades of good work. And yet, if it is not done out of love for God, and so others might love God, all of that can amount to nothing. I think of Matthew 7 when I consider this. Do you remember Matthew 7? Scores of people come to Jesus saying all the great things they did for him. They say, Lord, we cast out demons. Do you remember what Jesus says to them? He says, depart from me. I never knew you. This is a fearsome scene. You can be an upstanding church member your whole life and yet be found by Jesus to be a false disciple. Friends, the aim is depth, Loving God with all we have, our head, our heart, our hands, they're all an offering and the opportunities are wide They're out there. And so let us be terrified, not of this, not of the scary scene in Matthew 7, but be terrified to live your whole life and never hear that. Friends, it's good news to hear it now, isn't it? Not later. I can't not tell you. I want to help you be God's people. So, let's set the bar high. That's the challenge. Not just settle for a shallow definition, but set the bar high. I'm going to close by walking back through the outline and making just a few applications. First, pursue depth. Pursue depth. Both in your own life and in the lives of people you disciple. Or the groups you're a part of. It means that your life is about walking with God. It's not simply, I'm going to read this book so I can get smarter. Or I'm going to play this worship song just so I can feel better. Or I'm not just going to do stuff so people think I'm busy. (laughs) And good. You can do any of those things for the wrong reasons. Discipleship is about growing in those areas as a love offering to God. That's why Jesus said, love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. I don't know what struggling has looked like for you in terms of falling short here. But as a disciple and a discipler, here's just a little bit of some of what I've struggled with especially early on in my walk, I made discipleship all about me. Here's what it looked like. I remember as a student having a really rough week. And I was coming into my discipleship time. I was just this kind of mushy mess. <laughs> and uh, I wanted most of all to feel better. And to my shame... I expected my discipler to do that. I put that mantle, that yoke around his neck. But do you know what I actually needed most? (laughs) I needed a mind set on God. The very thing I was running from. And the Lord has kindly grown me here. But that lifelong confusion has on occasion festered into my role as a disciple now. Because I can sometimes now get lost in the murky feelings of people. You ever dove into that? And then I think it's all on me to fix them instead of just listening and backing up and just maybe asking them a simple question or two to bring God into it. Let Him do the work. (laughs) I had a friend who really helped me with this about 10 years ago. This is kind of a uh, uh, bit of a benchmark in my discipleship life. He asked me two questions... And I hung them on my wall and I still remember them. Here they are. Question number one. Dan, what do you think God is trying to teach you here? Write that down except for the Dan part. Unless your name is Dan. (laughs) Question number two. What continues to motivate you? What continues to motivate you? Those questions have moved me to remember God as the rightful center of discipleship. One more thought here. Those three areas, head, heart, and hands, those are all very much fair game for discipleship. So, another application of Pursue Depth is not to get stuck doing one of those three things. Or even two of those three things. Among other things, this can really help fight pride. (laughs) Lest you become arrogant by just overly focusing on that one area you like. So if your discipleship, you might know where you are better than I do. If your discipleship is all about the heart, or rather, you know, let me start with head. If your discipleship is all about the head, bring the heart and hands into it. Talk about music and art and the glory of God. It's okay. Let's talk about God. <laughs> and rake the leaves of your elderly, elderly neighbors as you're talking about that theology book you're doing together. Get out there. Meet people. If your discipleship is all about the heart, I'd encourage you to read a deep, challenging book on theology. Remember my first time through mere Christianity. It took me about ten times through the first ten pages till I actually understood what he was saying. And it wasn't just because of the stuffy British stuff. You know, it was—it was way over my head. The Lord is good. Um, or consider the hands too. You know, if it's all about the heart, if the person you're discipling is constantly stressed out in their feelings. There are actually some ways in which it might be actually more useful to help set them up with a budget or to organize their house. There's a reason why some people are overwhelmed. They lack discipline. And that is part of discipleship too. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's stewardship. Or um, one last uh, thought here about pursuing with. Uh, That's the broader opportunities inside and outside of the church. As you do that, as you pursue with, as you get to know people in here and in God's people out there, the global church, you will meet all kinds of people. People very much not like you. (laughs) Um, Some are going to be very... Worthy investments and some. I say this very, very hesitantly, but not so much. I offer this as a simple thing to consider. I, I really don't want to make this too hard and fast. But this is important because your time belongs to God too. And you want to invest where it counts. So I'll just say this. Ultimately, as you're considering where to invest, look for disciples who want Depth. If you're just not sure what to do. People who want the relationship to be all about walking with God. That's who you want to invest with. I'm not saying it's 100% and they don't have any bumps and bruises on them. But that's the trajectory you're looking for. And I say this simply because growing up, my church did really well with their hands. And so they often poured resources into programs and people who simply wanted a handout. They offered the gospel and the people took the tracks and chucked them and came back for more food. Now they were in hard places. I don't want to make it too black and white. But the trajectory that they tended to show was that they ultimately seemed to want nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with the stuff He gives. That does not a good disciple make. They were actually like the crowds in John 6. You remember John 6? We all remember the first part where Jesus multiplied loaves and fish and the crowds followed Him. But they did it because they wanted Another free meal. And his response in verse 56 was this Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Sounds a little graphic, but all he's saying is walking with Jesus is about Jesus. That's the goal in discipleship. For God's people to be covered in the blood of God's sacrifice, that's Jesus. So that as we spur one another on, as Hebrew says, awaiting that last day, we will see Jesus and we will stand before him and he will walk with us forever. That's how you get to be a disciple in the first place. Church, if this is your first week or if it's week number 500 and you've gotten by up to now on your own talents or your own preferences or you've coasted by without offering God all that you are, you can be a disciple today. You can be covered by the blood of Jesus and you can be sent out to make disciples. You can be the mission too. So that is discipleship in a nutshell. May we be true disciples. May we long for deep and wide relationships as we go out and make disciples of all nations. And when we fail, may God help us to not water down what discipleship is, but to empty ourselves, to set the bar high, and fall on His grace. May we be God's people helping God's people to be God's people. Let me pray. God, I'm so grateful for the many people here today. I'm so grateful that you called fishermen and tax collectors and cowards and bold, rash, zealous people and you served them, and you showed us discipleship. You trained them for years, then you died, then you were raised, and then you sent them out. Lord, would you help us if there are struggles in how we view discipleship or how we live it out? Would you help us to seek to be disciples who understand and love you? people who would empty everything to follow you, to serve your people. God, would you help us to serve one another in love as you have taught us by serving us first. Amen.